Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Audacity, how you guys doing today? All right, all right. Well, uh, if you guys are looking up here and you're like, who's this guy and why did we give him a mic and why is he standing here? Uh, my name is Josh Duell. I am one of the elders here at Audacity Church. And every once in a while, Ronnie likes to let me come up here to remind you guys how much better he is at this than I am. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to go back through the first four chapters of John, just kind of review what we've studied so far. Chapter one was the preeminence of Christ, the logos, the word. I love that, just the word, man's got power, amen? Second, chapter two, drinks to a party, another one of my favorites. If you come to our uh, small group in the summer, we may have a glass of wine. Chapter 3, God loves a skeptic. Who doesn't? They ask a lot of great questions. They provide a lot of provocative thought. Chapter 4 was divine appointment. How much Jesus loves everybody. How much there's nobody that is too small for Jesus. He loves everybody. I love that chapter. And chapter 5, I get to deal with Jesus, the Son of God. Man, I'm so excited to preach on this. Um, Chapter 5 deals with really a couple main points. The first one is obviously healing. He heals a man at a well. The second point uh, is legalism, and Jesus deals with that. And I'd just like to say on behalf of Audacity, if you've been a victim of legalism, uh, I apologize for the church. Here you will find grace, you will find love, and we will do everything we can to help you in any way we can. And then the third thing that he reaches out to is the divinity of Jesus, right? People, some people say, well, he never claimed to be God. Oh, he claims to be God a lot. In fact, he claims it several times in chapter 5, and we'll go through that, how Jesus basically says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father have the same goals, the same dreams, everything. So you know that he is God. So with that, let's go ahead and get into Word. I like when we go through a book of the Bible to read all the verses, one, because there's just so much meaning in God's Word, and two, it helps me make sure that I can get the full 30 minutes in for my sermon. You know, so uh, anyway, little little sermon padding trick for you guys. But after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, was a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One there a long time, he said, invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man, said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man, and who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. 
So Jesus goes uh, to this place where they had pools, and people would go to the pools to be healed. And somebody would come and kind of stir it up, you know, get the jacuzzi working, and then they'd want to go in and be healed. And um, Jesus shows up at this place, and there's, you know, um, people with all kinds of ailments all over. And he specifically picks one guy, and in the time of this thing was during one of the feasts, and we know um, just from scholars and reading through the Word that uh, there's three feasts that were mandated in Judaism that people traveled to. Passover, Purim, and Pentecost. And we don't think this is one of the Passover times, basically because uh, those are mentioned specifically in other parts of other Gospels in this Gospel. And so usually whenever it was Passover, they went kind of out of their way to call that out. So that's why we think this is probably not what that is. But the pool is located uh, by the Sheep Gate. And this is just the Word of God kind of pointing out another thing that Jesus is, right? We know as Christians, Jesus is the Lamb of God. The Holy Spirit goes through to kind of plant these subtle things. This was the gate that during Passover they would bring the lambs in for slaughter. And so uh, Bethesda itself, the name means house of mercy. It's actually been excavated uh, near the Temple Mount. And so this was a, a place of healing. People would go to find healing. But obviously it was kind of like a limited healing because you could only get in if the, they went in when the pool was stirred. They wanted to have kind of the bubbles working in the jacuzzi. Nobody wanted to kind of go in when the water was stale, so they always waited until the right time, and it made it very hard for someone who was lame to get into the water uh, when the water was stirred because there's, I, you can kind of basically envision kind of a rush of people trying to run in, get into the water, and get their turn at this. And so basically Jesus looks at this man, he picks one out of who knows how many, and says to him, he says, do you want to be healed? You know, And that's kind of an interesting question to ask, because if you're thinking to yourself, well, of course he wants to be healed. He's been sitting in this freaking colonnade for 38 years, man. Like, who wouldn't want to be healed? But Jesus is taking a little time. He's taking some time to kind of strengthen the man's faith, to kind of talk to the guy and say, hey, you know, you've been here for 38 years. Do you really want this? Uh, do you really want to be healed? What is it that you really want? And many times as Christians, we want to intercede. We want to petition God. And we think we know what we want. But we don't really know what we want. Sometimes we have a hard time kind of praying in the will of God and understanding where it is we're supposed to go and listening. A lot of times, prayer is just listening to the Holy Spirit. What it is we need. And so oftentimes, it kind of comes down to familiarity. This guy had been here for 38 years. He's used to this place. He's used to giving a living uh, from it. He's used to begging. And a lot of times, people back then could make a good living. If he had been healed, he may have lost his basically a source of income. David Guzik puts it like this, as bad as our current situation is, at least we are familiar with it, we know it, it won't surprise us. We can be more comfortable in our present misery than taking the steps we need to be free. So when you pray, do you want to be free? When you pray, do you want deliverance? When you pray, do you want to be healed? When you pray, do you want your friend who's lost to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? What do you want, right? When we're praying, what are we praying for? Are we praying in the Spirit? Are we praying with the power of the Creator of the universe, the Most High? Or are we just praying because there are words in our mouth, right? Let's make sure we pray as if we are the sons and daughters of Jesus who sits at the right hand of God, amen? And so, I have no, so the man says, I have no one to put me in the pool. The man doesn't answer yes when Jesus asks when he wants to be healed, right? He says, I don't, I don't have anybody to put me in here. It's not a matter of whether I want to be healed. It, it can't be done, right? He, he automatically kind of goes into doubt, like, it's, it's not what I want, it's what's able to be done. And He limits God's with his own ideas of how he can even be healed. You've got to be in the bathwater when it's stirred and nobody puts me in there and 
Otherwise, none of this stuff can happen. But the problem with most prayer, right, is that it's too small. We've got to think big. I mean, once again, creator of the universe, our Father, loves us very much. Nothing, I mean, nothing can stand in His way. So we need to remember that there's no, no thing too small, but there's no thing too great. Um, I want to share a couple stories with you, actually. There's a, a guy who uh, had been sick for, I don't know, four or five days. And uh, he's a pretty tough dude, really, really tough dude. And uh, just didn't want, really want to go to the doctor. Finally ended up going to the doctor. Uh, they ended up rushing him to the emergency room. And uh, most of you guys probably know this story. Rushed him to the emergency room uh, where they did emergency surgery on him. And uh, they didn't know if he would make it through the night. And uh, a lot of people prayed for him. And uh, two weeks later, he was at Ronnie's uh, dedication to become a pastor of the Nazarene because he was Ronnie's father. And so Jesus can heal, right? And I have another story because I know another guy. And he had a tumor. He actually had an ear infection and kept pain wouldn't go away, the headaches wouldn't go away, and he went to the doctor, and they said, man, we've got to give you a CAT scan. They had a huge tumor in his head. They did a biopsy, came back, said it was a rare form of cancer. And they said, man, you have this rare form of cancer, we're going to have to schedule it's going to go, and we'll remove it. And uh, so he was going to go get that, but before he went um, to go get the surgery, uh, some people prayed for him, right? He had a lot of people praying for him in his church. Went through... Uh, they had the surgery, you know, and it's like, man, okay, we, I think we got it all out. I think we got it out. They took it back, the tumor, and, and they analyzed it. And a week later, they were supposed to have an answer. And they said, give us another week. Why do you need another week? Give us another week. So they kept looking and kept looking. Finally, they decided, um, I know you guys did a biopsy and found out it was cancer, but they said this wasn't cancer. This, this is a benign tumor. You see, he was prayed for. And that tumor was healed. And I know who that guy is because that guy's my father. So when I tell you that healing is real, I know it from my experience. I know it from Ronnie's experience, from Randy's experience, because we've all dealt with it. And we all know the healing power of Jesus. Amen? And so I never want anybody to doubt how powerful he is, how much he loves you guys, how much he's willing if you just pray and if you need prayer, please come to me. Get on the prayer page. We'd love to pray with you. Jesus does it all. The miracle is a great reminder, right, of a loving God who sometimes will move in spite of our obstacles. Jesus does not say your faith has made you whole. Instead, Jesus is showing us that he is the way. He is the way to healing. He is the way to blessing. He is the way to a relationship with himself, a relationship with the Father. So we know... Uh, just from this, that the man had doubt, right? He doubted, I can't get in the pool, I can't be healed. Jesus says, I can heal you. And as with everything in the Bible, there's so much meaning, it's so deep. There's, uh, there's man represents Israel, the five portraits representing the law, the 38 years representing the time of Israel's wilderness and the wandering, the sheep gate representing the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, and the baptism, right, of the man in the pool representing the new covenant. Jesus is always painting us a picture. He's painting it with a purpose. And every verse in the Bible points to him. Everything comes back to him. Everything is to show that he loves us, that he died for us, that he saved us, 
and that he is the son of the Most High. The control of the law has a lot of restrictions. So we have a, on the Sabbath healing, you know, a lot of the Pharisees were like, oh my gosh, he told a guy to pick up his bed and walk. Why would, you know? And if you look through the Old Testament, and if for some reason you like to comb through like numbers or something because you just want to read rule after rule after rule, feel free. And if you find a place in there where it says uh, you can't pick up your bed on the Sabbath, let me know. But there's a lot of kind of weird anecdotal stories and real stories too about how legalistic people can be. So in April of 92, I'll tell you a story. Uh, some tenants left three apartments in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood in Israel, basically burned to the ground. And the reason they let it burn is because they weren't sure that if they went to fight the fire, if they used a fire extinguisher, if they would be breaking the Sabbath, if they would be creating work. And so it took them the time, basically from the time that burned down, they went and asked a rabbi, hey, uh, would it be doing work to put out this fire on the Sabbath? Because it's the Sabbath. And in that time, the fire spread, burned down a couple more buildings. And so you see observant Jews uh, are not allowed to create fire on the Sabbath because that's working. And as part of that, they've extended that and made the rule so vast and so great that they consider turning on a light switch equivalent to making fire. Well, uh, you can go through the Bible. They didn't have electricity, so I know there's nothing on there about a light switch, right? But what they're doing is they're saying, they're making so many rules that bind us and keep us from experiencing the full love and grace of Jesus and it just, it's just rule after rule after rule. And we're not here for rules. Jesus is here for love. Jesus admitted even that he did a little work, right? He said, I'm doing work because my Father is doing work. What does that mean? It means that the grace is more important than the law, right? People are more important than rules. And so Jesus, not only did he heal on the Sabbath, but he commanded the man to take up his bed and walk. Human interpretations, once again, you're not, it's just uh, you can't keep, pick up your bed. You can't do this. You can't do that. That's not what it says. It says, my father's working till now and I am working. Jesus says, I am working because my father is working. He calls God his father. He demonstrates he's Lord of the Sabbath. He is the standard, reminding us God isn't on vacation. God doesn't take days off. The Sabbath is for us. The Sabbath is a principle for our benefit. It's a one day a week when we get to have a vacation, right? God puts a holiday every single week. We get to have a holiday. And we're fortunate enough to live in a country that couldn't decide which is more important, the Judeo or the Christian, and just gave a Saturday and Sunday off for the most part. Amen? Like, double down. I like that, man. God bless America right there. I even got my star socks on and everything. So thank you, Jesus, for having two days off. Because if you're like me, you don't like to work that much. But the authority of the Son is important. So John 5:18 to 29 says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, even calling himself his own father, making himself equal with God. So right there we have it. So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So we see here Jesus compares himself to God, right? And we, we know from Ronnie speaking in previous sermons, uh, when Jesus says truly, he's saying, look at this. When Jesus says truly, truly, he ain't messing around. Like, he's like, look, look, look at this a lot, basically. And so uh, then he does this one more and does it three times just in this one section of the word, right? So he's calling himself God and he's not saying, hey, look here, I'm God. He's like, really look here, I am God. Really look here, salvation is through me. He is pointing it out, and he is pointing it out strong. Okay, he's not saying, eh, you know, you could do this or you could do that. He's saying, this is the way it is. I am God, the Son of God. I do nothing independently of my Father. Right? Eternal life to be born again comes from hearing the words of God and believing in him. Faith and obedience is given to Jesus in high honor. And so, once again, truly, truly, Jesus is establishing his kingdom, and he's talks about kind of like the first phase of that kingdom, and we know that the second part of that kingdom is when we get to be part of that kingdom with him on earth in glory. Amen? So, we look so forward because Jesus is establishing his kingdom. His purpose, was, which is to call dead men to life. Jesus did not make bad men good, right? But to give dead men life. So we thank Jesus because he has qualified us not because we're worthy, but because he loves us, to become part of the process of winning again people so that they can be in right relationship with Jesus. And so as witnesses to Jesus, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he hears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. That's John the Baptist. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you will be willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I give is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you not, do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you have believed Moses, you would believe me. He wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you believe his word. So the point of this is this. Jesus has the same authority, power, love, and purpose of the Father. The scriptures from the beginning to the end speak of him. Every verse, Jesus says, every verse that is written is about me. Everything is about him. Jesus' ultimate power came in submission to doing the will of the Father. And let me say something here about submission, because it's always kind of like a 
people always think that's kind of a bad word, right, in our culture. But, man, submission to the will of God will bring you joy that I cannot explain. You only know it when you're in the will of God and you have the Holy Spirit inside you and when you understand the power and the love that comes, outflows from Jesus, okay? I mean, and, and I don't mean to say that like everything's, when I say joy, I don't mean happiness. I don't mean like everything's going to be great. Uh, church planning's hard, okay? And things we have done have been hard. There have been hard days, hard nights. Things have been hard. And times when we've just faced, uh, whether it feels like spiritual oppression or whatever, and you have to kind of go through those seasons. But when you look back on them, you know that Jesus was there. And in the process, I have gained friends that I know would give their right arm for me. Probably a dozen friends bend over backwards for me. People that love me like Jesus loves me. And that's who we are at Audacity. We want to love people like Jesus loves you. You will have friends here that will walk through life with you, the good, the bad, and the ugly if you're walking with me. And so we just thank Jesus that we have people that are friends, right, that you can just lean on. And that's what it's about is just community with your fellowship of believers and submission to Jesus. And he gives you a life that is so rich and so wonderful and so lovely. And there's just no words for it. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it does mean it's amazing. And so, um, man, I just... I doubt, sincerely doubt, there's very many CEOs or whatever on this planet that could say that they'd have what we have, that they have a community that loves them as much as our community loves us, that they have people that love them with the love and the grace that Jesus provides. So like Jesus, our ultimate purpose, peace, and provision will come in submission. In order for something to hold up in court, you've got to have two witnesses, right? Like, Otherwise, it's one word versus another. So you've got to have two against one. And Jesus is saying the Father has testified of the Son in the Old Testament prophecy and at the baptism of Jesus. So we've got two examples already right there of who he is. Jesus affirms his testimony in actions, miracles, and words. He's saying there's enough evidence to vindicate his sonship, but people are still rejecting him based on their misinterpretations of the Old Testament. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's a damning sentence if you don't take Jesus as the answer. The scriptures testify to Jesus. The scriptures are about Jesus. Jesus is revealing that though they search the scriptures, they do not have his word in them. The law does not give eternal life. The law points to Jesus. The law shows us how short we are, how holy God is, how little we can do and how much he has to do, right? It's all about Jesus, the sacrifice that he gave. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the embodiment of healing. Jesus is your place of rest. Jesus is the authority you need. Jesus is the hope of your salvation. As we say in this house, it's about Jesus. It has been and is now. We are so thankful that we get to worship Jesus, that we're able to just learn about him, that, that there's nothing too small, nothing too big, that Jesus can heal, Jesus can forgive, Jesus can do all these things in his grace. And we're just so thankful that we get to be with other people who are able to manifest that on earth. And we always ask here, you know, like, hey, we always talk to each other, especially like on the men's page, right? The dudes would be like, uh, I need to something. 
fill it in, whatever it is, fill in the blank, borrow a tool or whatever. And never once has anybody ever kind of hesitated and been like, I don't know. Guys are always willing to help out. Guys are always willing uh, to do things. And I know on the ladies' page, same way, right? Like when you're mom and you're stressed out and you need some babysitting or whatever, and you post, a lot of ladies are there to help watch your kids to give you rest, just like Jesus helps give you rest. Uh, Jesus is the hope of your salvation. As we say in this house, it's always about Jesus, always has been, is now, and will always be about Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.